when you want to give somebody the best gift ever, you really just shut up and be with them. Intentful, mindful, as though you really want to know what this is about. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to create a book, a movie, an audio, or some other creative project, something that they can use to share their memories and life stories with their families and their friends and with future generations. And today we're talking to Dr. Janet Bieschke. Janet came across my radar when she sent in her listing for the new life story directory that I have up on the website on, on the lifestorycoach.com. And the reason why her listing stuck out is because she described how she specializes in end of life coaching. She does life story work just like the rest of us. So she interviews people. She does videos in her case, um, but she's doing them when somebody is close to dying. Not only that, but she also helps as a coach for the family members of the dying person. She's an author and an inspirational speaker whose focus is on teaching baby boomers the importance of honoring their aging parents and to avoid future regrets by gathering the stories while they still can. Welcome to the show, Janet. Thank you, Amy. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. So um, just for the audience, um, you know, Janet, you and I were talking right before we started recording about um, just the specialty that you have with end of life. And, you know, there's a common refrain in our business for all of us, no matter what clientele we serve, and that is get the stories while you can. Now, for a lot of us, we have to tiptoe around it a little bit because we don't want to seem morbid. So even if you're working with somebody who is elderly um, and, you know, much closer to the end of their life than the beginning of their life, you want to get the message across that this is important to do, to share the stories well. Well, they still can, but again, uh, you know, there's a fine line that you don't want to go over. Um, but for you, it sounds like it's different. Can you tell us a little bit about the clientele that you work with? Yes, I can. First of all, when I began volunteering as a hospice volunteer, I anticipated that my clients, that I'd be working with people in their 80s and their 90s. I was totally unprepared to realize my average patient was mid 40s to mid 60s. Wow, and that is surprising. And yeah. and and they are people who have, you know, been through issues and they they understand that this is it that they are in their final days. So I almost have the advantage of them having come to terms with it in whatever way they need to and it the point I'm with them, it's really about what gift, how can we tap into who they are and leave some of the best stories and some of the best wisdom that they can pass on for the people that will be here after they're gone. And and when I first started oh, doing the interviews, I came home and I told my husband, I think I'm jinxing them because within two to three days, I had probably six or seven patients that died. 
two or three days after my interview with them. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, this something's wrong here. I, I was really beginning to feel this as personal. That it's like, I, whatever I'm doing, I can't do it. Um, until I realized it's healing, it's closure. They've said what they've needed to say to the people that they need to say it to. They've, they've talked about, you know, their regrets. They've asked for forgiveness. They've said, I love you. They've, they've done all the things that they've been holding on to. And it's almost like this sigh of relief, like, okay, now, now I can go. Now I'm ready. And that's what you're helping them do. So yes. when you when you talk about gifts, there's giving going in all different directions here, right? There's oh the, my gosh, there's the yeah. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because um, I, I I like that concept that all of the life stories that people do. You know, we 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 try to explain people, especially the people who are hesitant about sitting down and talking about their life. We try to just get them on board with a with the notion that yes they are giving a gift to other people but for you um and, and i i'm a firm believer that just being a listener being um, a witness to somebody's story is also a gift that we give to them but for you it sounds like it's so much more intense and um and the gift is so much more precious obviously for the person that you're giving it to can you talk a little bit more about that I, I can. Um, and I think what brought this together for me is I've been certified as a life coach, and then I'm doing this volunteer work at the same time, but I saw them as being totally different, separate streams. And at some point, I realized that as I worked in my coaching practice, I was beginning to realize that most people die many deaths. You know, a part of us mm-hmm. dies when we're not seen. A part of us dies when our voice is not heard and it feels as though no one is listening or that our words do not matter to another person. A part of us dies when we're not treated as though we're lovable or worthy. Um, and, and all of that coaching stuff that was really about helping people find their value and their voice and learning to stand in their power so that they could take action while they're in this place of joy, respect, love, it, it makes a difference. And when I realized the same thing with death is that when we can come to terms with it, we learn how to live in such a different way. And you literally step into appreciating everything. Today matters. You know, I can visualize so many of the people that that I'd interviewed, and I think, I'm sitting here surrounded by snow and ice and cold, and I'm listening to everybody complain, and it's real easy to get into that mindset. And then I stop and think, what would that person give to be back here today, just today, Mm. right here in all of this? It wouldn't be their focus. They would be with the people, looking for the things that mattered, doing the things that mattered, saying what they needed to. And it really comes down to that mindset, that perspective of, you know, what do we choose? Where's our intention? Where do we focus our energies and our resources? And and so in so many ways, it's about learning how to live so presently and so in the moment that, you know, is it's, you held that baby so tight for so long that all these years later, you can still feel her heartbeat. Um, little things, you can bring back that conversation, you can see this person, you know, walking across the room or 
out the door, slamming it if it's a child, whatever. Um, you know, it's living in the moment. And everything that I do just keeps reinforcing that. And, and I call it a peaceful passing because when we can help someone have a peaceful passing, it's really about coming to terms with their life. And when there's unfinished business that is not taken care of in those opportunities where you have that opportunity to, you know, pass those gifts, to resolve some of those issues, to say the things you needed to say or that someone needs to hear, you are literally resolving issues so that they don't carry forward into their life and passing it on. Mm. And from a practical standpoint, what does that look like? So if you, um, if if somebody contacts you um, and you go and you meet with the with the person in hospice and the family members, um, how do you know where to begin? And how much time, on average, do you spend in conversation with the dying person? Because it sounds like you're really tapping into into some very deep conversations. Well, I'm pretty direct in some of my questions. The first time or two, I I was all prepared. I looked into their background, what they had for family, if they had military service, all of that. And I had pages of questions. And it, it took me no more than one interview to realize it's the same as with coaching. It's not about me. It is all about them. It is what they want to share. It is where they're at. Physically, are they able to carry on, you know, much conversation? Do they have enough cognitive abilities to recall? And and most of them do that, you know, if I'm interviewing them, they do. But, you know, where are they at and what is important for them? So I always begin by blessing the space between us and setting my intention that during this interview, what is asked, what is said, will always be within this blessed space so that what comes out is what is helpful for them to release what they need to and also that it is what needs to be heard by someone who will be listening to it, you know, down the road. And, And sometimes, I mean, I certainly would have no idea what that is, and sometimes they don't even know. But I, I like to think that by blessing that space, it, it puts us in that energy that has this kind of divine radiance that flows through it. And I just trust that whatever comes out is something that's going to be useful and helpful. And it is, oh, so many times. I, I get more hugs than anyone. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. Now, when you're doing these interviews, um, are the family members present or is it usually one-on-one with the, with the person um, who is dying? Yes and yes. Um, it is entirely up to them. Um, sometimes it will be just one-on-one. Other times it will be um, the family is welcome to stay. They can be in the room. Um, they can be sitting right there with them if, if they want. Um, but many times it's just that person. Some family will stay for a while. But as I say, I get into some, we, we talk about their belief system. We talk about, you know, it's common for me to say, you know, tell me what's going on with you. And that can be as much as they want to share because it's always about, I always say, if I ask you something and it doesn't feel right, just give me a sign and we'll keep moving right on. Um, but it, it could be something about um, past the medical stuff. Are you scared? 
and and for some of them, that's usually about that point is when I'll notice that somebody's getting up and leaving the room, a son or a daughter, because they can't deal with that. They're not ready for that yet. And and yet, of all the people I've interviewed, I've only had one person say, yeah, a little. But everybody else has been just, Adam is like, no, no, they were not scared. And And that actually surprised me because you kind of, anticipate some of the answers and yet um, I think it was that they had had term time to come to terms with it or if they had whatever their faith was um, that belief in something after life um, that seemed to be there but but then there's always the nuns and the servicemen that sometimes have more problems letting go than you would anticipate. Just like what was that a few years ago when um, when it came out that Mother Teresa, you know, her journals are full of her grappling with her beliefs and whether yeah. whether or not she even believed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there's some some dark corners of the soul that people have to reckon with when they're in their in their last days. Yes, and, and part of it I think for the nuns is that they set that bar so high. That when they mm. don't account, you know, it's that shoulds, I, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done this. And that, that enters into a different arena. But yes, it is about finding meaning. Some people think, well, there's nothing I really have. And yet when you get into their story and you listen to them, there's so much history. Their family values come through. I always feel that I get to hold time. And, and I have a couple of stories that really relay how that, how that plays out. So real briefly... Um, I interviewed a woman, middle age. As my life changes and my years change, they, middle age means different things to me now. But <laughs> I would say she was somewhere in her 50s. And she only had one child. And that child, even though they knew she was dying, would not come to visit her. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, you know, so right away I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. <laughs> but then I learned it's not about me. And and she it was actually a great interview. And during that, I mean, she told her great stories. But then at some point, she talked to her child and said, I know now that what I did was wrong. And I'm sorry. I want you to know I love you. And I wished I could go back and change that. And, I, and, and for me, even though he was, the, the child wasn't there, it was like holding time so that if and when, you know, she could be long gone, but there may come that time when things had changed in the child's life and now they were ready to receive that message in such a way that it could heal them, you know, what those issues were. To hear that, yes, their parent owned that. They were responsible. They accepted the fact that they were the ones that created the situation and that they were apologizing. And that they were expressing their love. So in doing that, um, you know, I just, I take it as there's a gift right there. There's a gift. I'm assuming then from the way that you told the story, you didn't hear any details of the hurt that she was trying to um, ask forgiveness for, but she was just putting it out there um, because her her adult child would know what she was talking about. Is that right? Absolutely. And I don't need the details. My job is to manage the emotions. And that when we go down into those heavier emotions, 
my job is to bring us back through that. And it's like, okay, so, you know, it's like, wow, tell me what lessons you learned from that. How did that change your life? You know, to bring them back through that to where we can, we can go into it, but we don't want to stay there. It's not important to do that. Well, and that actually brings me to a question that I did want to ask you. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because, um, you know, we're all going to, it's at some point, if, if we're working in life stories, we're going to be, um, we're going to be in contact with somebody who's getting close to the end of their life, or even, even if not, they're going to be dipping into some of the really painful stories. And, um, it's always something that you have to watch out for if you're not a trained therapist, um, that how you deal with the person when they're getting into that really dark place. And so for you, it sounds like you're waiting for them to come out and you're helping bring them out by asking questions and, and redirecting rather than, um, well, I like the way that you said it, you're managing their emotions. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that because I, like I said, I just think that's a challenge that we, that we will all face if we haven't already. Yeah. And thank you for asking that because I actually covered my <laughs> walls one day with these big post-it notes and I started sorting the emotions based, based on, you know, the, the light, the heavier. And I ended up with four quadrants, you know, where I, anxiety, apprehension, fear, anger, where where some of those things were. And then I overlaid the emotions with the level of engagement, whether families, and this was more from a family analysis. And because sometimes it's the person that's dying has, who has been, um, use whatever term you want, but they're the ones that have actually created the life that they have. And some of the situations are entirely theirs. And at other times, it's somebody in the family where there's issues. Um, so some of them will choose like the one I just explained to have no engagement. They just avoid the situation. They either don't know how to deal with a parent or a loved one. And it's just easier for them to say, you know, it is what it is and walk away. And, and in this process, you know, that I have two models that I created and I really haven't gone out and, and shared those a lot yet. Those are, <laughs> those are in the works. Um, but they really come down to, I've named them. The one is, you know, an example, heavy emotions, a lot of engagement. You can imagine if it's a very active, involved family and they're angry, they're bitter, they're mean spirited, they're looking for revenge. That's where you get the lawsuits. That's where you get the volatile blowups, you know, and I just call that the angry victim down there. And, you know, and, and anyway, so I have these four quadrants and the idea is uh, up at the top, there's a difference maker. And it's like, you know, how can you engage in such a way, manage the emotions in such a way that even in a very short window, you can resolve issues, you can release some of the pain, you can express some of the love, you can literally make a difference in such a way that it matters. And and to me, that's the gift. These four quadrants, you have, um, you have one quadrant is the heavy engagement, but heavy feelings and another is um is heavy engagement but the lighter feelings and then yeah, um, yeah two of them will have your less engagement yeah less engagement but heavy feelings right. and then okay that is 
a fascinating way of of structuring it. I mean, and that's exactly what you're doing. You're you're finding an organizational system to fit those things into so that you can kind of um, have a a game plan, it it sounds like, when you're working with people. And you then are the, what did you call it? The, um, what was the person who was, who's outside of it, who's, who's managing things? Well, uh, it could be a coach in some way, but it's just tapping into that knowledge where I see, you know, where they're at in how they, you know, how they work with each other or speak to each other or treat each other, and then whether or not there's any involvement. And I've just noticed with some, you know, the other side of that is we've got the emotions, the actions and the results, and and there's a hands of choice that come into play there. And that's really where a little bit of coaching can help them. But one of the things that I did well in a recent book um, was really take that and put some tools in there that people could use, first of all, as conversation starters, because so many times they don't know what to say, uh, you know. And and I, I said that myself. My dad had a heart attack and, you know, I drive a thousand miles and I'm sitting in the hospital room thinking, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, I mean, boy. it was just that we had, it was just the upbringing and it was like, I didn't have anything I needed to resolve. But I remember that feeling of just thinking, well, I think there's supposed to be something really important here and I don't have it. Um, so I actually put together one of the tools is called um, Five Conversation Starters. And and they're just easy ways, tips, and then a question, you know, like one would be invite versus telling. Remember what it's like when you're told to do something, mm. you know, being rather than being invited or asked. Be respectful. Always invite them to share their stories. Be curious, even when you've heard the story before, and be be prepared. And and then the question would be for that particular area might be, what's one of your earliest memories of your grandparents? And and that alone will take them back in time, and it, it may take them back further. It you know. So I've, I've got some easy conversation starters that just kind of open it up. I think one of the important things in today's world is we are so engaged and so busy with, you know, we've got our tablets and our phones and our, you know, all of the interruptions that can come through when we're with someone. This is really about when you want to give somebody the best gift ever is is you really just shut up and be with them. Intentful, Mm -hmm. mindful, as though you really want to know what this is about. You are giving them your undivided attention in a time when we seldom do that anymore. And and for somebody to stop and to literally put down what they're doing and give you their time and attention, it lets you know that you matter. What you have to say is important, that they want to hear it. That brings out a different type of story or a different type of engagement with the people that we're working with. And that is just as good of advice and and tools for people who are not facing death, facing imminent death. I mean, that that's for any and all of us, right? You know, to sit, to sit down with our loved ones, um, no matter what stage of life they're at, and to listen and to ask the stories and to be um, to be curious about their lives. Um, so yeah, I think those are great tools. Now the book um, that is 
you wrote that specifically as a um, as a, a help for people who have somebody um, in their family that is dying. Is that correct? Yes. I had so many people after I would speak, they would say, where can I buy your book? And I would say, you can't. <laughs> I don't have one. Well, you need to write one. And when you do, let me know because I want to buy it. And at, at, at some point I thought, you know what? I I just need to do it. I'd had too many people asking me. And so it really was kind of stories, tips, guide. And it really is if you find yourself um, in the midst of the pain of an impending loss, you know, if you're struggling with what to do or say or how to process all of those emotions or how to make the best of this time, you know, here, here's just a way that I can walk you through some of the things that I've found work very well. And, and then make that process a little bit easier. I've included some of the tools, as I said earlier, the conversation starters, but I also included some letters for later, which would be available for the person to actually write out the letter and leave it for particular people, or the notes for now that can be used right now. And and those are things where I've, I encourage people to have celebration parties where you have these notes for now sent out to relatives and friends and former colleagues or church members, neighbors, family, and have them fill them out and send it in. And it, it's real simple. You know, one thing I've learned from you is I appreciate you for being in my life because I want to thank you for, <clears throat> you know, it's just a one page of just little sentence starters. And then, and then bring as many of the people together in, in the room, if say you're in a, a nursing home or the person's home and you're having a party somehow, even if they're on some type of life support, you bring these people in and let them read their answers out loud. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that people who are sitting back with the oxygen tubes hooked up, laying back in a recliner, all of a sudden are sitting on the edge of the chair. You know, that this is about them. These are people that they care about. And collectively, if you have siblings in a room, listen to other people talk about what your mother or your father meant to them or a memory they have with them. And, and all of a sudden, it gives you this collective appreciation for someone while you're learning things you might not have known or they may have reminded you. And, and now you have somebody who is lying back in a recliner. They're sitting on the edge of their chair and literally i mean people have made a game of it saying okay mom who do you think wrote this and then they would read one of the responses oh, and great idea. yeah and it's like do the cake and the balloons and the music and have the people come in and can you imagine if that was one of the last memories you had of being with your loved one when you knew that death was intimate, rather than standing kind of in the halls thinking, well, what is the doctor saying? You know, what do you, what do you think? You know, it's like, you think you're going to make it through the day or the week. And, and these literally are things you can do within a matter of a couple of weeks. But you, you said something, Amy, that I want to ask you, because you said, normally I'm working with people, you know, when they know it's their time, that they are someone who's dying. How do you know you're not dying? I mean, when when do we know, when you consider how many people have no opportunity to know? They don't get that warning. You know, I'm lucky that I get to work with people that do, but we all know that life changes on a dime, vehicle accidents, mm -hmm. 
Um, you don't have to do more than pick up a newspaper or listen to the news any day. And you think, oh, my gosh. And they were only how old? And and I, I share the story, and you probably heard it before, about the, the she was an older lady, and somebody asked her when she was in hospice, what does it feel like to know that you're dying? And I, I just love her response. I think she was in her 90s. And she said, well, let me ask you, what does it feel like to be pretending that you're not? Oh, oh wow. Yeah, good. So, right, yeah, that's really good. There we are. Yeah. So I, I really work to say, you know, create the moments that matter with the people that matter while you still can, because we're not promised tomorrow, but it's always a loss, you know, when we lose someone that we love. And and I say lose, you know, people would say that we never really lose them because there's a piece of them that is always with us that we can tap into. And I think the more of these moments that we create, the more of the memories, I think the easier it is to bring them back into our space, mentally, emotionally, um, when we need that. I want to talk a little bit about your coaching service. So you um, you do life stories, you do video interviews with the, the dying person, but you also offer your services as a coach for their family. What does that look like? Um, basically the same thing. Uh, it, it, is, it is a matter of sometimes it's helpful for them to put things into perspective, you know, that, that they need to just have someone to talk to. Uh, sometimes it's getting the ideas of what can they do, because when you get pulled back into a situation, your mind just goes in so many different directions. So the coaching I do is not only for their families. It's just plain life coaching. And, and that's for anyone that's looking for clarity, looking for creating goals. You know, where do we go with this situation or with this time frame? Um, what needs to be released? What obstacles are standing in the way blocking us from those goals, from achieving what it is that we want? And, and then laying out some type of a plan to where we're looking at, you know, how, how do we work with our mindset? How do we get into the shifting emotions? Because I really believe that our emotions are so critical. You know, if, if you come into a situation and you just happen to be angry, you carry that into everything that you touch and, you know, every conversation. But when you can come from that sense of appreciation and wonder and exploring what are the possibilities are, it opens up so many more avenues and, and they just tend to fall in alignment, you know, and it's getting that alignment um, with this. If I'm dying, you know, working with the family, that part is the engagement level and the emotions and getting them to that point where they can become difference makers, whether they have days or weeks or months or years. It's like we all want to make a difference in our life. We want to make a difference to the people that care about us and those that we care about. And, and we do that when we find that alignment between who we are and what we do. And, and I think that that's for all of us. So, so my coaching is just literally life coaching. And my clients there are, I, I actually have a lot of life coaches that I mentor and coach. Um, I've done that for almost a decade now too. So like I say, these, these two 
I don't call them professions, but these two walks of life for me since I retired, both are along a parallel path, which um, bring in a lot of the life coaching into the living and learning to die in such a way that you learn to live. And, you know, I really think that the way we live is in many times the way that we die. And and mm-hmm. I think when you can approach death with appreciation, everything else becomes so much easier. Well, what does that mean, approach death with appreciation? Are you talking about the dying person, the family members, or both? Both. Because there's a lot of um, things that happen when, let's just say it's a parent that's dying. All of a sudden, you may get pulled back into a family unit that you haven't been a part of. You're an adult. You're living your own life. You're making your own decisions. And now you get pulled back. And all of a sudden, you're treated as you were when you were a child. And, you know, we have this little dance that we do with our siblings and parent, you know, we have the roles and all that hierarchy stuff and who listens to who and who gets our time and attention. And all of a sudden, you may be 40, 50 years old feeling like you're 10 and, and being treated like you're 10. And that doesn't work. And then you have to kind of figure out, okay, how do you get into some relationship to where you can appreciate each other? And, and it's almost like the setting the goals. It's like, what do we want? What do we want to happen here? We want to have a nurturing family. We want to create a space where this can be a place of peace, that we're going to be respectful for each other, you know, and we're going to be able to stand in our own, you know, power in our own space in a way that we can retain our dignity as we do the work here that needs to be done. And all of those are possible. But when you come in with carrying some old grudges, um, you really have to be aware that you're doing that. And then you have to be willing to say, okay, am I willing to set this aside for now? And what do I want? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And, And keep the focus there because that's really then what opens up the doors for things to start falling in place. And when people call you, is it because they want you to videotape the stories? Or is it equally as, you know, as much people want to have this help in their time of need when they're seeing a loved one um, through this this last phase of life? It usually begins with, um, I, I just got news, you know, we were just told or my mom or dad just got this, you know, what what can I do? because it, it comes up to what what can I do? And it's like, well, I haven't talked to these family members for a while. We don't agree on mom's care or dad's care. And, you know, there's always, there's issues with finances. There's issues with the medical profession. You know, do you, do you keep them on the medications or on? Do you, you know, some people say we're going to do everything we can to keep them alive. Do they have the medical um, paperwork necessary to, do they even know what they want? You know, some- and, and are all of these issues that you help them with or your services are kind of an add on besides all of that stuff? Many times they're right in the middle of it. And so I can help coach them through if, if they need resources. I can help them come to terms with what they can do versus what they can't do. You know, just understanding those boundaries sometimes is real helpful. And it's like, what do they want? You know, is this a time for them to spend as much 
time with their parent? Are they going to go in and try to take over and remedy a situation? You know, what are they getting into? Um, if there's somebody in the family that's got a history of dealing drugs and they're, um, they're afraid of this particular member, you know, how do they deal with their interaction? So um, I come in pretty much as is, it's like, where are you at? You know, I don't, it doesn't have to be that I'm at the very beginning or I'm at the very end. It's like, if you feel that there's um, help that you need, if you want to walk through this together, I will help them do that. If they want to just talk through it, if they really feel, um, if they have a parent who still has their cognitive abilities, then there's the opportunity, do they want to do the filming? Do they want me to do it? Or I will talk them through. And, and many times, you know, I'll say, you know, you can do this. It, it might be a little bit different, but they can do it. They can at least get pieces. It's like, no, sit down and ask her and tell her why. Um, sometimes it's like, well, how am I going to tell mom and dad that I've hired you to come in and interview them? <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, here's a thought. How about if you tell them that your sons, who are now, let's just say, young teenagers, are going to have questions in 30, 40 years. And, and I would like them to hear your stories in your words. Would it be okay? Oh, that's great. You know, it's kind of like, here's a gift for my children down the road. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, in some ways, it's just, I kind of smooth that path for them wherever they're at and say, okay, you know, what do you want? And why is that important? And then how do we get there? And, and my job is to just kind of help them take the steps and the actions and, and do that in such a way that they're coming from a place of, yes, this can happen. I see miracles all the time. And when they set that intention and they first understand, really, really believe, I can do this. When you say they, you're talking about the person in hospice or the child? The client that's hiring me, the adult child. And sometimes they can help the parent. You know, when, if there's been, an, who doesn't have issues? If, if there's been something, though, that's really kind of stuck and everybody is not getting around at the elephant in the room, sometimes the parent has no way of starting that conversation. They, they don't want to hurt anymore. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so they avoid it. And sometimes by, and I'll say the adult child, coming in and saying, you know, I need to say this. And and I know there was an issue here, and, and this is what I've learned from that, and even though I didn't like it at the time. And they might find that this is something that really is helpful for their parent because their parent needed to bring that to closure but did had no way of – they didn't even know how. So sometimes by being clear about what it is you either need to resolve or that you want to create in this remaining time, um, it makes it much easier, you know, because the possibilities are always there. We have, we have, you know, this day, we have these moments. And if I'm clear walking into that room, what I want, I'm more likely to get it. And that does it for our interview with Dr. Janet Bishke. The end of the interview got cut off. Apparently, Janet was having some snowstorms on her end. I recorded this a while ago in the wintertime, and now it's spring, and it didn't seem like it was ever going to get here, but now it is here. So it seems a little funny to hear her talk about the weather at one point in the interview. But I did promise Janet that I would give her contact information. So if you're looking to find her, you could do that at 
drjanetb.com. So that's drjanet and then the letter B.com. And for links to her book, I'm Sorry, I Love You Goodbye, you can head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 52. I hope that she had some ideas that you can take back to grow your own business. Until next time, go out and save someone's story. 